today on CityCast Denver. There's a question on your ballot that hits close to home for me, no pun intended. I'm talking about referred question 2F. If passed, it would make it illegal in Denver for five unrelated adults to live in a house together. That was already illegal for a long time until city council passed the group living amendment in February. But back in the 2010s, I broke the law and I lived with a house full of people for years. So why is this a big deal? And why do people want to make it illegal again? My friend and former roommate, Piper Rose, still owns that house that we lived in together. And they're on the show today to reminisce about the old times and chat about why group living was so important to us. Today is Thursday, October 21st, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. I wanted Montgomery to say hi to Piper. Oh my gosh, Montgomery. I mean, not that he can say hi. Oh my gosh, look. Oh my gosh, you're in the house. This is part of your origin story. Do you even know? Oh my God. Well, I wanted to talk to you today because um, you and I lived together for a very long time. And um, currently on the ballot here in Denver is a move to repeal this ordinance called group living. And what group living did essentially was make it legal for up to five adults to share a home together. Five, prior to this... Five non-related adults, right? Five unrelated, you're yes. right. Okay. And prior to this passing in February of this year, it was technically illegal to live that way. And so you and I um, technically lived illegally in our community for many years, which is wild to me. Which is so dangerous and so street and so cool, but also ridiculous. <laughs> Not, yeah. Totally ridiculous and not cool in the in the weirdest ways. So, but I want to start back with when you purchased a house. So, a little over a decade ago, you were looking to buy a home in Denver. You've lived here for a very long time, and you reached out to me and were like, "I want you to live with me." Um, and, and this was part. I felt like this was part of your process in buying the house was looking for a place that you could share with others. Why was that important to you? Absolutely. So that's true. Um, I never envisioned the house to be mine. Um, I envisioned it to be a place for members of my community to experience secure, affordable housing. That was always a part of the vision. Um, there are some aspects of class privilege that I have access to and some aspects that I don't. And my stepmother had passed away and I was able to um, have for the first time in my life, the kind of sort of financial situation that might allow for this uh, purchasing of a home. Now I have experienced um, housing insecurity. I've experienced sort of personal life circumstances that could easily lead to housing insecurity. And then I've seen many of my friends, many of whom are artists or um, folks on the fringe who have struggled for various reasons to fit in, maybe queer, trans, other marginalized identities, 
um, struggle with housing in a way that is devastating. I mean, we all know that this is not a country that um, does anything less than like persecute the poor. So when money came into my life in this particular way, like, of course, the first, you know, all the (laughs) like little punk Mm the punk nodes in my brain start firing and are like, redistribute the wealth, you know? So I'm like, okay, well, I could redistribute the wealth, but there were actually conditions to this money. So my father said, you are gonna have this. This is a, a, a really incredible opportunity. You can't do anything but buy a house. And it was not though his same intention. We did not share the intention of me filling it with 4 million people and seeing how many people could get affordable rent. So in the beginning, my first thought was not what house am I going to buy? It was who do I want to live with? Who do I see as someone I want to build community with? And you were the first person I thought of. It was very in like intuitive, but it was you. And then when I like was like, you will you do this with me? I really felt like you and I helped each other to to bring in the right people um, over the many, many years. I, and I remember that conversation and I remember you reaching out to me. At that point, I was living with my mother, um, which was a great situation, but it was also um, serving a purpose in that I had come out of sobriety a couple years prior and needed that safe space to get sober. But moving into a new space sort of on my own seemed really daunting and part of the appeal of living with you was that you're a, f- a fellow person in recovery. Yeah. And um, I, I don't think that that was necessarily a – it wasn't like a strict rule in the house, but we essentially created a space for other folks who might be in recovery or looking for that support. So in yeah. a sense, it, it kind of was that. Well, I think it's really interesting too because I feel like when you bring up the recovery part – I mean, yeah, we could say recovery and contextualize it with like how we had experienced recovery from alcohol and drugs, but people showed up in recovery from abusive relationships, Mm. from housing insecurity, from Mm -hmm. like a really negative work situations that they couldn't leave without support. I mean, people have come for so many reasons. So, I mean, we, the house intentionally has been a space for calm and joy and healing and um, sort of safety. So I think these kinds of opportunities are really radical because they're stripped of like social obligation that is family. And you have to figure out like what you want to build. It's just, it's very different than just like even living with a roommate. Yeah, then like having a roommate or like finding a roommate on Craigslist. And whenever we were looking for a roommate, it was like, we have to sit down and have a conversation about you're going to be sharing space with people and we want to make sure that you feel a feel comfortable in this home and b you make others feel comfortable in this home and and a lot of it has to do with things like yeah it's not a party house even though again we are from the lineage of like you're saying the punk house which would be way more chaotic which is where a bunch of people would live together And um, in an effort to make something affordable, but also that was often a place that would like host shows or um, I don't know. We weren't a punk house. No, we weren't a punk house because we didn't have an obligatory stolen, very large roll of toilet paper from a gas station, which is like (laughs) one delineation. But the other thing is that 
to your point, there's a difference between living with a lot of people in one place. And then there's like that plus different degrees of conscious living. Right. So I feel like we were conscious in cultivating the vibe, the vibe and um, making sort of house rules. You know, this is our wake up time. This is our bedtime. After that, it's quiet, you know, like no partying, no like extraneous intoxication, like whatever the sort of house agreements were. And I don't even think they were rules, but like house agreements were, that's a degree of conscious collective living. Right. And then, then you get all the way to the point where you're talking about weekly dinners together, sharing food purchases, um, house meetings on the regular, like everyone sort of owns part of the home in terms of taking care of it and investing it and, and, and what you reap in terms of the social and material reward of those things. Yes. I I would agree. Like that's the hard part is conveying what you're conveying to a neighborhood or someone who might be fearful of someone like us being their neighbor. Super curious. Actually, as we're talking about that, I'm like, what is the argument? What is the oppositional argument? Like we just don't like a lot of cars on our street. Yes. I know that, you know what is so weird to me? The like, (laughs) You're parking in my spot. And I'm like, it's a, it's a public, it's a public street. Yeah. But it's in front of my house. And I'm like, yeah, but. And you bring up a really great point, which is that's one of the main arguments that I've heard um, out in these like community outreach meetings in advance uh, prior to this group living ordinance passing that they're trying to repeal. Something that I heard in these outreach meetings that the city put on was people are going to take our parking spots. Um, People's trash will be overflowing. And I think about our situation, not everybody had a car. Like we were sharing cars. Um, The trash situation for sure was a little frustrating because if you're living quote unquote illegally, you can't ask the city for another trash can. But if people are able to live this way, they can ask for more trash cans. It's pretty simple. Here's the wildest part about it is that we point to an individual's psychosocial material security like their home and we target that instead of targeting public transportation instead of targeting solutions for waste management in you know relationship to collective housing like instead of panning out people are like well what about my parking well what about equitable and well-designed public transportation. Could we focus on that? Like maybe we could put our energy there. Totally. Um, And something interesting, so there's this opposition group called Safe and Sound Denver, which is the group that got this repeal on the ballot. And they got more than 13,000 signatures to repeal the amendment and they only needed a little over 9,000. What do you think that says about Denver? Do you think that, to me, I think, the opposition from a lot of folks is also fear-based. And I just wonder what you think, like, is it just because people don't know about these opportunities, like you're saying, um, to change systems? Or like, why would why are people so afraid of 
sort of neighborhoods being shared? Right. I think that there's a couple of things here. Um, One, I would have to hear how they were presenting it because there's a way you might present this on the website. And then there's a way you might be trained conversationally when you go door to door to talk about this. And I would really want to hear and see what kind of fear mongering really underlined some of their arguments. So I think that, um, there are several things here and some of them are bigger than others. Like who, who are we targeting targeting and what are the arguments before really answering that? Yeah. But I think this is a question of, again, what is a community? It isn't even a neighborhood anymore, which sometimes historically it has been. And, You know, I feel like we don't know how to have relationships with other people at a collective level. I think about, you know, we're on the far west side in Barnum and our block, um, there was a lot of intergenerational and community living happening that wasn't just us. Um, we may have been the only white folks or a hand, one of a handful of, of white families in the neighborhood at that point. It, I mean, that idea of community can, can cross cultures. I, I would say to somebody, um, it changed my life. I mean, yeah. uh, it challenged my viewpoints in the world. It um, pushed me to better understand what community means, how I can function in a community and be of service to other people. Um, it, it also allowed me space to be in recovery and be in a safe space. Um, it allowed me to grow my career because I wasn't spending half of my income on rent. Yep. Um, that's another thing I think financially that folks don't necessarily think about is like, y- even if you don't need it, even if you can cover your mortgage, You could be helping somebody else out tremendously by lifting that burden of rent um, a little bit. And that to me is huge. Well, Piper Rose, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Bree. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. The Casa Bonita saga drags on. A group of local superfans have filed a legal motion in bankruptcy court to block a pending sale of the restaurant to the South Park Bros. According to the Denver Post, it isn't so much that the Save Casa Bonita group doesn't want Matt and Trey to be the owners of CB. Rather, it's the potential of a local developer family, the Zeppelins, being partners in that deal, among other things. Stay tuned. And another story update. It looks like Douglas County deciding to pull out of the Tri-County Health Department earlier this year is causing a bit of a domino effect. According to the Colorado Sun, Adams County will also be leaving what is left of the health department, meaning Arapahoe County is the lone wheel left on the tricycle, and it'll have to create its own health department now as well. Oh, and by the way, it's projected that it's going to cost each county millions of dollars to create new health departments. Cool. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye.
the law. Breaking the law. <laughs> In my mind, it's only Beavis and Butthead doing it. It's not the actual song, which I think is Judas Priest. <laughs> Breaking the law. <sighs> oh. <laughs>